Okay, so today I'll be uh, preaching the fourth and final sermon uh, in our core value series, the first four weeks of, of Gospel Church. Uh, so, so far we've looked at uh, the Gospel, community, discipleship, and mission. And today we're looking at mission. And so when I use that term, mission, uh, what, what is it that, that springs to mind? Is it uh, missionaries, probably something like going to Africa, at least some kind of uh, cross-cultural church program involving going overseas, uh, reaching people that speak another language, Bible translations, things like that. Uh, maybe it's uh, humanitarian work, setting up an orphanage. Uh, may- maybe something more focused on evangelism, sharing the gospel, planting churches, and, and training uh, local pastors to reach their own people groups. And, and maybe here in Australia, missions... Uh, might mean something like inviting people to church or to an evangelistic crusade. But today, as, as we examine what, what our mission really is and how it will be achieved, we'll see that it is something that is for every Christian. We all have this calling. And it's not something tacked on to the Christian life as, as an additional component, but it's an integral part of being a disciple of Jesus. For everyone here today, if you are a disciple of Jesus, then you are on mission. So it's important that we all learn more about what this mission is and how we go about achieving it. So, so far in this series, we've looked at uh, gospel, community, and discipleship. And it would be really, really easy to view this series as as a chronology of, of the Christian life. That first we we hear the gospel, which you know is is true. That's a good. That's our our starting point, uh, and that gives us a right relationship with God, and that provides entrance into the church. And then we become a part of the church community because of our common belief in the gospel. And then after that, we begin the process of growing and becoming a disciple of Christ and discipling others. And then fourthly and finally, a select few super Christians with the gift of evangelism. Once they've gone, uh, grown enough, once they've become spiritually mature, completed their, their Bible college training, you know, then those special Christians are sent out to complete the task of mission while the rest of us receive update emails from missionaries and offer them our prayers and financial support. Now, I'm obviously not, not discouraging that. There is important mission work to fund. But mission is so much more than that. So as we tackle this topic, we'll realize that, that the gospel, our community, our being, uh, being a disciple and being on mission are all connected. They're all interrelated and they're for every believer. Just as the work of discipleship and the sense of community we build in a local church revolves around the gospel, uh, so too does it, does it revolve around mission. See, a part of being a disciple of Christ is being on mission. And simply being part of the Christian community means that you are called to be the salt of the earth, light in the darkness, and messengers of the gospel. So you cannot be a disciple of Christ and not be on mission. You cannot be a believer of the gospel and the teachings of Christ and not be someone who is then called to take this teaching to unbelievers. But what am I even talking about? So like, so far I've used the word mission about 50 times already. So, so what even is mission? Well, that's, that's my, my first point here, is that God defines the mission. So to figure this out, we're going to take a pretty broad look at the overall story of the Bible, uh, just as John did a couple of weeks ago. 
when he demonstrated that community was a running theme throughout the scriptures, and so is mission. So we often like taking individual verses like you know, Matthew 28, go and make disciples, uh, Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and think that this is the part of the Bible where all of a sudden God is concerned about mission and evangelism. And they are good verses that encourage us and command us to spread the gospel, but it's a, it's a pretty shallow reading of Scripture if we think that the entire Bible, the entirety of history, isn't about God's mission to gather together a people for himself to worship him. See, from the opening chapters of the Bible in Genesis, we see God's original intention for humanity, to dwell in the presence of God, worshipping and serving him. And, and to be in perfect relationship with him. And then sin enters the world and our relationship with him is broken. We're, we're no longer able to be in his presence and our rebellious nature causes us to worship ourselves and, and all sorts of created things and idols instead of worshipping our creator. But immediately, right in Genesis 3, we, we, we see a response from God. And in fact, the, the rest of the Bible is God's response his, his mission to save humanity, to redeem a people for himself, to come back into his presence and to worship him. And, and we already see a glimpse of the gospel in the very same chapter, right after humanity fell. So in Genesis 3.15, and I'll, I'll take us through a bunch of different verses throughout the Old and New Testament to, to take a look at God's mission throughout redemptive history. But, but right from the start, Genesis 3.15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So that's what's called the, the, the Proto-Evangelion, the, the, the first gospel. And, and so, yeah, theologians believe that this is the first proclamation of the gospel right from the very uh, first few chapters of Scripture. This is a, a picture of Christ crushing the head of, of Satan as he's crucified. And then God's uh, plan of salvation narrows in on a specific family, uh, Abraham and, and his descendants. So Genesis 12, uh, verse 2 and 3 says, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, I will, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then obviously later on, Abraham's descendants become the people of Israel. And so then we read in Isaiah 49, uh, verse 3 and verse 6, it says, And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. And so it's just interesting that even in the Old Testament, when, when all the focus is on God's chosen nation, they, they weren't chosen to look inwardly they weren't chosen to keep god to themselves they were they were meant to reach out to the nations they were meant to reveal yahweh to the nations they were on on mission but what's the running themes of, of the 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 few verses that i've quoted so far what's the running theme between all of these these scriptures it says i will put enmity between you and the woman i will make you a great nation i will bless those who bless you I will make you as a light for the nations. See, God is the one who is at work. It's his mission. 
And then even as we move from the Old to the New Testament, we see the climax of his mission. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, people from every nation, and to do the will of his Father. And so John uh, verse 4, John 4 verse 23 says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So this is exactly what, what God was doing in Christ, seeking people to worship him, seeking out the lost and rescuing them. It's his plan and his means of accomplishing it. And he did so on the cross of Christ. So Christ came into the world, had life, had a human body so that he could die for our sins. He was raised so that he could give us eternal life to all who would believe in him. See, when Peter preaches to those who crucified Jesus at Pentecost, even though he calls out their sin, he points out that this was always part of God's predetermined plan, his mission, his rescue plan to save his people. And then after that, Jesus sends out his disciples, the, the, the apostles who are sent out at the start of Acts. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. See, God is the one at work here. See, he called the apostles to be his witnesses. He wasn't making a suggestion. He wasn't even giving a command, go and be my witnesses. It says, you will be my witnesses. It's a, de a declaration that his followers are his witnesses, called to testify about the good news of the gospel and what he has done in their lives. And the purpose of this is so that the Father would gather a people to worship him. So this is God's mission. He gets to define it. He sets the end goal. And since humanity was originally created for the glorification of God and the praise of his name, it follows that this is why the church was re redeemed, to restore humanity to their original purpose. So this is uh, completely related to the purpose of, of the church overall, but it's also related to the purpose of, of our church. Now, I love, love this quote by John Piper. He says, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. And that can be a big hit to our motivation when it comes to evangelism. So ask yourself, what, what, what do you want to, uh, why do you want to see other people come to Christ? See, it's really easy for our, our own agenda, our own motivations, our own desires to creep in. We, we might want the gospel to flourish so we can live in a more comfortable society. Our mission might become focused on getting the right people, nice Christian people, in positions of political or social power. Uh, we might share the gospel when we're in a heated discussion with unbelievers and, and we want to prove them wrong. I know I'm, I'm very guilty of that in, a, in apologetic discussions. It can become about winning the argument rather than winning the person to Christ. But I think most of the time, you know, we, we do have a genuine love for people. We want people to be saved so they can be saved from hell. We want people to experience the joy of salvation and of, and of knowing Christ. And there's nothing wrong with wanting those things. But that shouldn't be our primary motivation. And, and it's not our message, uh, so it's not our, our mission to tinker with. See, God is primarily focused on calling a people to worship him so that he may be glorified. And that needs to stay our primary motivation as well. 
that we're doing this for God's glory so that the name of Jesus would be made great. And it will give us the strength to, to continue. When, when we face obstacles, when we face rejection, we can keep pushing forward. Even when people are being unloving, even when it costs us a lot, we can push forward, continue on in God's mission so that he may be worshipped and he may be glorified. So if it's God's mission, it's his plan, his purpose, then what does he need us for? Well, the truth is he, he doesn't actually need us, but he chooses to use us anyway. And what a privilege it is that we have been entrusted with the gospel message and given the opportunity to join with what God is doing in the world. So if, if he wanted, he could just instantly implant the truth of the gospel into people's brains. He could use angels, he could use dreams, he could just save people and immediately transport them to heaven. But instead he chooses to use fallible, fallen, broken, scared humans to be his messengers and carry out his mission. And so there are a few uh, key points that we learn from the scriptures about our role in, in this mission. Okay, so the first point uh, is that every Christian is called to this mission. See, some Christians obviously find it easier than others, and some are gifted in evangelism more than others. God has distributed gifts differently. We're not all the same. But this doesn't absolve us of our responsibility. See, every Christian is to be an evangelist in some way or another. And, and last week we, we learned about uh, discipleship and, and saw Jesus' final command uh, to his disciples before his ascension. He commanded them to make disciples and to teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. But what's one of the things that he commanded them? To go and make disciples who will obey the command to go and make disciples and then teach them to go and make disciples who will go and make disciples and, and, and so on. This continued on for 2,000 years and, and travelled all the way to South Australia where we are, uh, all to continue and partake in God's mission to make disciples and worshippers of God who will go and make disciples who will worship God. Okay, so every Christian is called to this mission and the second aspect, uh, the second thing we learn from the scriptures about our role in this mission is that it involves every aspect of our lives and can take many forms. So there, there are so many uh, courses and, and plenty of different books. If you go into Kurong, seminars, uh, lectures, all sorts of things on evangelism, trying to teach us uh, various tips and techniques, the, the, the secret four-step method to evangelism that will guarantee success. Um, but, I mean, pl plenty of them are actually pretty helpful, but they can also be pretty one-dimensional and, and suggest that the main thing lacking in our evangelism is, is the right technique. But I, I think the biggest problem is not seeing the mission field all around us. We are not only on mission when we take to the streets and meet strangers hoping to share the gospel with them. In the scriptures, we actually see a wide range of, of ways in which people come to faith. We see people saved through public preaching uh, at, at Pentecost in, in Acts chapter 2. Uh, Paul talks about the church being a place where unbelievers can come in and see that God is among them, uh, get convicted, and then begin worshipping God. That's in, in 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, we also see examples of people who have 
who have some kind of knowledge of the word, like Lydia, uh, being given one-on-one instruction and explanation of the, of the scriptures so that she comes to a saving knowledge of the gospel. Uh, we are given commands in the New Testament concerning our behavior, both within our family and our workplace, that our bad actions won't hinder the gospel and that our good actions will assist the truth of the gospel. So what's the point of all these options, all these varying means of salvation that, that, that we see or the, the different ways in which people come to Christ? Well, are, are they options? Are we being given a choice, a, a choose-your-own evangelistic adventure? Well, no, I, I, think, I think the Scriptures are, are showing this wide variety of ways in which people come to Christ to show us all the ways in which we can participate in mission. There are opportunities all around us. And that's what we want for this church. We want it to be a church that is welcoming for unbelievers to come in and hear the gospel and be saved. But we also want to be a church that starts midweek gospel communities that we can share in each other's lives and and fulfill what what John spoke on uh, a couple of weeks ago, being a community of believers. But we also want it to be an opportunity for us to invite unsaved friends to come in and see Christian community firsthand and hear the gospel, especially for those of you who have friends that uh, maybe aren't that keen to come along to church. So we also want it to, we want to be a church where its members see their workplace as a mission field, not merely an income provider. See, mission is to flow out of every part of the Christian life. We cannot compartmentalize it. You know, go to church on Sunday, work Monday to Friday, and Saturday is evangelism day, in which I share the gospel with my friends and family. The mission is all around us. So, so have a think about it. Who, who has God placed in your life for you to reach out to? And, and more than just using the opportunities all around us, I, I think we actually need to be active in creating opportunities. Other activities that you do, hobbies, places you go, you know, where, where you do your shopping, where you get takeaway, what sport, uh, sport you go and see. Can you be inviting unbelievers along with you, building relationships, possibly getting to speak to them one-on-one about the Bible and what God has done in your life? So I think one of the, one of the big ones in, in our area is uh, the indoor soccer league. So I'll be joining a team with several other Christians this year. And they also see this as an opportunity to meet other people, um, people that probably have no contact with outside of this, and use it as an opportunity to meet them, get to know them, and hopefully speak to them one-on-one about the Bible and, and, and the gospel. You need to be intentional about inviting people over for a meal, invite them out fishing. That's a pretty good practical application for me. Uh, It's taking regular components and activities in our life, uh, but being intentionally missional, seeing them and turning them into opportunities for the gospel. And so one practical way for for us to fulfill that that command is for when we eventually get a building, we'll have an official church launch. And we'd love for you to already be thinking about people you know that you could invite along. Begin praying for them now. Tell, Tell other people about who you're praying for. And obviously feel free to invite them along already if you want. I don't want to discourage you from inviting them until we sort of building out. And so that's something we can discuss um, in between the services, over dinner, after the service. Who can you reach and, and how can you go about doing that? How can we as a church actively reach the community around us? 
and, and also just how we can help each other. See, we're not called to do this alone. Jesus didn't send out his disciples on their own. So maybe as we begin sharing meals together, think of the people that we can invite along to see what true Christian community looks like. And so the third point, so we've seen that every Christian is called to this mission. It involves every aspect of our lives and can take many forms. Uh, the third, third thing that we learn from the scriptures is that preaching is a necessary component. So although there's plenty of different ways of reaching different people in your life, there is one thing that does not change, and that's the clear preaching of the gospel. And, and by preaching, I don't, I don't mean giving a sermon or just inviting your friends to hear a sermon. We are all preachers of the gospel when we simply tell others the good news about Christ's death and resurrection. <laughs> so there's, there's a, a really common uh, phrase used by plenty of evangelicals that says, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Well, according to the scriptures, words are necessary. They need to hear the gospel. People need to hear the good news. The fact that it's called the gospel, good news, means it's something that we can tell other people. And so Romans 10, verse 13 and 14 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So it's pretty straightforward. We want people to believe in Jesus. They need to know who Jesus is and what he's done for them so that they can then believe in Jesus. And the only way they can hear about that is if we tell them. And what are we specifically to tell them? Well, 1 Corinthians 2 verses 1 and 2 tells us. This is Paul speaking. He says, I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So that's it. That's evangelism in a nutshell. I know I said I'd stay away from tricks and techniques, but that is the, the straightforward key to evangelism. Go and tell people that Christ died for their sins and that he rose again to give them eternal life. And that will obviously need some expanding and there'll be plenty of questions and objections that will need answers. But, but we're not to lose sight of the simplicity of the gospel message. And so my third point, we've gone through that God is the one who defines the mission. It's his mission, but he also defines the means that he chooses to use us. And then thirdly, God empowers the mission. So it's God's mission, but he's entrusted us with the task of spreading the gospel, which, which seems like a pretty risky strategy. So it doesn't mean that we can stuff up God's plan by our own failing, our own fear, our own incompetence. And, and, and that seems like a pretty horrible burden that, that we're responsible for completing God's mission. But we're not. We're not. God has not left us alone. He hasn't handballed the mission over to us. He's the one who empowers it. So either side of the verse that, that we looked at before, we're in Matthew 28, where Jesus tells us to go and make disciples. Before and after that verse, uh, there's, there's two really important things that we can't uh, overlook. So just before he tells us to go and make disciples, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then afterwards, he says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, God didn't call us to convert and save people. 
He has called us to preach the gospel and let him do the saving. Only God can transform sinful hearts and cause them to repent and to love Christ. See, we weren't, we weren't saved simply by hearing the gospel and saying, yeah, okay, I, I, I guess I'll give that a go. Scripture defines our salvation in the sense that we were dead in our sin and Christ came and made us alive. And so when we go and proclaim the good news to others, we have about as much ability to save someone in our own strength as we do to raise someone from the dead. So the power of the message doesn't come from us and our eloquence, our persuasiveness, our apologetic arguments, or our social standing. It comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know many of you have heard this before, but do we actually believe that? I wonder why we don't evangelize as much as we should. I don't actually think it's it's predominantly fear that stops us. Anxiety of what people will think of us or whether we'll have the right answers. I, I would question whether we really believe that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Do we know that we actually have the most powerful message in all of human history? The only good news which is backed up with divine power to change the human heart. No other message has that power behind it. See, although he uses us, it is God's mission and he is the driving force behind completing it. He is the one who is saving a chosen people to worship him and he's not going to be thwarted by our weaknesses. And so in the next couple of weeks, we'll be watching a, a video sermon by, by Matt Chandler on, on Romans 8. So I won't go into too much detail. I won't exegete this passage, but I, ju- I just want to read out a couple of verses. Uh, so Romans 8, verse 29 and 30. It said, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. See, so it's God is the one who predestines a people, and therefore God is the one who calls them. He's the one who justifies them. He's the one who will glorify them by conforming them to the image of his son. As that lifts the burden completely off of us, all we can do is is pray for others and share the gospel with them and let God do the saving. So I, I can preach the gospel knowing that no one is too far gone. No one is too far away from God, too hard hearted to be beyond the reach of God. See, and that's what we often do. We, we, we want to invite the people along to church who are already really nice people, the ones who are more likely to say yes, the ones who aren't going to be as antagonistic toward us. But everyone needs the same grace. Everyone needs the same transformation. So no one is too far away from God to not be saved. See, I can preach the gospel with confidence to people, even, even the ones who have already heard, heard it before and rejected it. I know that God could intervene at any moment and take their hard heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And so my final point today simply follows from all that we've been talking about today. Since it's God's mission and it's empowered by him, even though he's chosen to use us, imperfect people like us, it is inevitable. It is certain, it is guaranteed that God will complete his mission. 
And that's my final point for today, that God will complete his mission. So Jesus doesn't come with the possibility of a rescue mission. He will save his people from their sins. And so let's just uh, take our Bibles and turn to uh, John chapter 6, verses uh, 37 through 40. Okay, so John 6 from verse 37 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes believes in him, should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. It says, all, that the peop- all the people that the Father has given to the Son will come to him. It's guaranteed. God's chosen people will come to God through Christ. We just need to be faithful in, in preaching the gospel so that God can save them. That's the means that he's chosen to save his people. See, many sermons that that focus on evangelism like to guilt us for our failings. That you need to try harder, do more, be bolder. Their souls are at stake and and it's all your fault if they die without Christ. Uh, um, I'm definitely not calling for the opposite, for us to be complacent or or apathetic. We, We do have a big calling. But the burden does not rest with us. We just need to be faithful in sharing the gospel and trust in God's sovereign ability to complete his mission. And that's why we can be confident in the power of the gospel to save sinners. But more than that, he will restore the creation. The curse will be removed, everything will be fixed, and humanity will dwell with God in the new creation. See, we we see the end of history already written for us in Revelation. And we know that this will happen because he's God. He's the Almighty. He's the one who declares the end from the beginning. So he doesn't just have power over his creation. He exists beyond time. All of history is within his sovereign control. So he will complete his mission and we will worship him for all eternity with all of his people. And so in Revelation 19 verses uh, 6 through 8, we actually see the future already recorded in God's word. It says, And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Uh, And then in verse 9, it says, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's what we have to look forward to. Christ has already been victorious over our sin, so we know that we will be victorious in the end. He's already saved us now, so we know confidently we can await the completion of our salvation. We will partake in that feast at the end. But until then, we proclaim the good news of the gospel. We share it. We live it. We invite people along to join us. And we also celebrate the death and the resurrection of our Savior.
But how can we celebrate that? Why, why would we celebrate the death of the one that we love? Well, just as God decided the means of evangelism to use broken, imperfect messengers like us, he also chose the means by which he would make our salvation possible. The death of his own son. See, fully God, Jesus is, fully God stepping down to save us and yet fully man, our representative dying in our place, taking our sin upon himself, his human body broken, his blood shed. And when he was on that cross, he was taking the punishment from God the Father for our sins. He took it upon himself to appease the wrath of God. The Lamb of God, slain for you and slain for me. But that same Lamb rose again and is seated at the right hand of God, working in the world, drawing people from every nation to gather together people to worship Him. So that is our mission. It's ultimately God's mission, and when we join Him, we call other people to come, to come to Christ, not just for the forgiveness of sins, not just for eternal life, but we call them to come and worship the Lamb because He is worthy.